Life Church podcast with Pastor David Sinkraven. Let's focus on the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The word of the Lord. Have you ever had to confront a friend on something difficult uh, that you knew you just had to say? Um, something hard, you had to say something really gut-wrenching that kind of starts with, I've I got to be your best friend here, and I have to say this. Something you were dreading saying, but it was so important to you that you knew you just had to say it. And if you've had to do something like that before, you, you know that uncomfortable spot, how did you go about doing it? You know, did you just come right up to him and, and blurt it out? Uh, did you address it in public or private? Um, I'm guessing you didn't just, just do it randomly, unless maybe you run in the same circles as Donald Trump. You, you probably don't just blurt things out like that. These are very difficult conversations for us to have ordinarily. So we put a lot of planning into them. You know, we think through it a lot. Some of you who are really type A, maybe even write these conversations out. You know what I'm saying? You just like, I, I got to get this right. I got to nail this one. If I miss this, this could go really bad. So you kind of rehearse it in your head a little bit. Maybe you'll even go over it with a friend. And when it comes time to the actual confrontation, uh, you, you make sure to plan for a lengthy introduction. You know, you're not going to just start with your main point right there. You're going to kind of warm up to it a little bit. And, and you have some, some really positive material on the front end of that, that conversation. Maybe even a few well-placed compliments. Like, have you lost weight, by the way? And, you know, you, I just always appreciate your ideas. And, and you get the person ready to hear what you really need to say. There's a real art to this thing of confrontation. And the, the interesting thing is we find the Apostle Paul doing that here in our series in Philippians right at the beginning of chapter 4 and verses 2 through 3. He's confronting a couple of his close friends, these co-workers, these two uh, true companions of his, these two women in Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche. Paul's about to confront them. Now, if we're not careful... We could overlook these two little verses, and they're, they're not kind of like the fridge magnet verses of Philippians, you know? There's lots of good stuff in Philippians that we kind of love to talk about and put on, you know, our sneakers if you're Steph Curry or whatever, and, and, and this is just not one of those verses. But I actually think this little, these, this little section here, these two verses, could be the whole reason why Paul wrote the entire letter of Philippians. It could be. I mean, I'm just saying it makes sense, doesn't it? If you think about it, Paul's been, for the first three chapters, he's kind of got his, his introductory stuff. Like, it's really positive. It's encouraging. He's talking all about unity and being of one mind and one spirit and agreeing in the Lord and, and, and suffering kind of arm in arm together and, and making Christ all in all. And he's talking about um, having Christ-like humility, and that leads us to get along. He's talking about all these things. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, he drops a bomb. Just straight up, just, just drops it on him. He starts, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He calls them out publicly. Ouch. 
calls them out publicly, his two friends, on this disagreement. Apparently, they're not on good terms. They've had this long-standing disagreement. It's had time to get back to Paul wherever he's in prison, probably Rome. And then Paul has time to write back. So this is a long-standing feud that these two women have. And Paul decides it's worth the risk of losing their friendship because it's so important that they reconcile. He says reconciliation and unity in the church is so important that, I'm wor- that it's worth the risk of me doing this publicly. He's taking a monster risk in doing this. And therefore, we know that reconciliation is a hugely important concept to the Apostle Paul and to the book of Philippians. So today, we're going to look at it for a few minutes. This idea of reconciliation. And as we go through these two short verses, I just want you to notice four things about it, all right? First of all, the need for reconciliation and how this side of the resurrection would never really graduate from our need to be reconciled to people, okay? Um, Then the importance of of reconciliation and the church's responsibility in it. We're going to look at that too, how Paul kind of brings that out. And then finally, where do we get the power for doing this regularly and doing this well? Because it's not something that sort of comes naturally to us. All right, so here we go. The need for reconciliation. Uh, It is not a question of if you'll need to be reconciled to other Christians. It is a question of when. Now, you need to be reconciled with lots of different people. People at your work, your spouse. I mean, any of you gotten married and realized, I joined Reconciliation 101. You know, you just fight. As married people, you just, you just have more arguments than you ever thought you would ever have because you're always around each other and you're just, your stuff starts grading on each other. Um, you're going to have disagreements with all sorts of people, but the context today is specifically Christian people. Christian people. And we kind of have to kill our idealism here up front because I think something happens when people come to the Lord. They have this little voice that whispers in their ear, now everything in life is going to be perfect. Right? Anybody hear that when, when you came to Jesus? Like, now everything in life is going to be perfect. And that's Satan. <laughs> He's telling you that. He's telling you that because he wants you to get hugely disappointed at the first time some, another Christian treats you like crap. Right? He wants you to take huge offense to it and be like, this, this stuff isn't real. I'm done with this stuff. This person calls himself a Christian. And they, they treat me like this. So we have to kind of put that to rest, like you are going to fight with each other. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. You're not going to see things eye to eye. Even in this church, we have, a, we have a unified church. It's a wonderful church to be in, but we, if I've pastored here for almost 13 years. There are arguments that take place. There are disagreements that take place. You will need reconciliation as long as Jesus hasn't come back. You'll need it. We never get over our need for it. And one of the things I love about this passage being in the book of Philippians is that the Philippian church really was kind of the model church. They had it going on. I mean, Paul doesn't have a lot of negative things to say to him like he does other churches that we see, you know, him addressing in Corinthians. Boy, they were a mess. And, and the Philippian church, they just don't have a lot of issues. But then you get to this section, they have this big feud. And it's not a feud between two baby Christians. It's a feud between two solid leader-type Christians, Yodi and Syntyche. Two, Paul calls them uh, co-workers who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So we don't know exactly what their role is, but they're likely leaders in the church in some way. And Paul says, look, these two ladies need to work this thing out. 
right? So he's calling out leaders in the church. If, you're gonna, if you have conflict in leadership in the church at Philippi where most things were really going well, you can be confident it will happen here too. And so my heart for us here today in Life Church, just, just sort of like to piggyback on what Pastor Bill was, was saying to open with, is that we would have a mindset and a heart position that we become good at reconciling. We just, we just want to become good at this. We, we know this is going to be needed, and we know like, hey, I want to be about restoring relationships quickly. When there's tension, when there's friction, I want to be about sitting down with that person saying, hey, let's talk. Can we talk? It's a tough thing to do, but... But hey, when you're used to doing this, you get better and better at it, right? Um, in, in our family, I like to talk about it as not pushing away from the table easily. Um, I think of covenant membership that way. Uh, we're kind of like a family in some sense here because families are the best example we have of covenant relationships. Um, a marriage is a covenant relationship where you promise to love each other through thick and thin, right? But children is the other covenant relationship um, where you, I mean, I haven't talked to a single parent yet that says, I love my kids only when they do exactly what I, t- what I tell them to. That's a covenant relationship. Most of the time, they don't keep their end of the bargain. You know, I was talking with my daughter Grace about this. We had a rough evening the other night, and she just did not want to do what I said, and I was pretty upset. And at the end of the evening, after she kind of finally figured out, like, this goes way better when I do what Dad says, uh, and she's starting to come back around, she said, Dad, at the end of the night, I feel like you don't like me. I said, sweetheart, listen, I was really upset with you, but I love you, and I will always love you, and this is what it means to be in a family. She's learning that. I still, after a year and a half, she's learning, what does it mean to be in a family? I said, listen, it means that we can be really upset with each other, even angry with each other, but we, we're, we're together. We're not leaving each other. We don't push away from the table easily, and that's what Paul wants for us here, too. He wants us to have this posture of heart that says we can go through some stuff together, we can endure. Our relationships are not so breakable. They're not so fragile that we can't take a comment that, that maybe comes across wrong and then we're just out. But we say, no, there's a durability. I'm going to come back to the table and the back again. And there are some things that do eventually break relationships. But Paul's saying those things should be few. You don't want to push away from the table easily. We will have a need for reconciliation. I hope that we get good at it. All right? Uh, that's the need. The importance the importance is hard to overstate because look how Paul's doing it. He's addressing it publicly, right? This letter, the letter to the Philippian church, would have been read publicly. So, you know, just put yourself in Yodia and Syntyche's shoes here. Imagine you have a sin struggle, so do I, um, and, you know, somebody planted this church years ago and then they're off somewhere and we get a letter from them and we're just opening it up and saying, I don't know what it says yet, and we're about to read it, and this is great stuff. And then it comes to chapter 4. <laughs> and there you are. You and another person, and, and this guy calls you out personally. And you're close to him, and you feel that. It's a big deal for Paul to do this publicly. But Paul's confident he's got some relationship capital with these two. But also, he's confident that this is so important, it's worth the risk. It is worth the risk for him to say, Look, we've got to get this reconciled. And he, he almost, it's like he wants the rest of the church to see how important it is. He's like, you all pay attention because I don't do this very often. You all pay attention to how important this is that we work towards unity in the church, that we work towards reconciliation. It's extremely, extremely important. Paul uses almost the same verb here uh, with Yodian and Syntyche to agree in the Lord to be of the same mind. 
He uses that same verb back in chapter 2. He's talking about the exact same thing as he has been all along throughout the book of Philippians. This is extremely important to him. And if it's not enough that Paul calls them out publicly, think about the words of the Lord Jesus that he had for us in Matthew chapter 5. You know, Jesus is talking about the same kind of thing, and he says, listen, if you're, if you've, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. You know, the translation is, if you're in your devotional time, or you're in your prayer closet, and you remember a brother or sister has an issue with you, or you have an issue with your brother or sister, and it just kind of pops into your mind, it's more pleasing to the Lord to go and deal with that than to stay praying. It's more godly to go deal with it first. That's how important it is. Jesus is saying, this is worship to the Lord when you choose to reconcile, when you choose to be about unity in the body of Christ. This is what makes his heart glad. I mean, remember Jesus' last prayer for us. What was it? What did Jesus pray for us when he prayed? I mean, I pay attention to what Jesus prayed. He wanted us to be unified, right? He wanted us to be one. He prayed that we would be one even as he and the Father are one, right? It's important that we seek reconciliation and that we do it quickly. We don't let it go on for months and months and months and months. And of course, this, this brings us to our third point, that Paul goes so far, he says this is so important that he's even bringing in the church to this struggle. Um, you may say, well, how did he do that? Well, look at, look at how he addresses it. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then verse 3 says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Who is the true companion that Paul says is to help Yodia and Syntyche? Well, we don't know. Scholars don't know. Um, it could be Epaphroditus because the, the word is in the singular there. But more than likely, because the letter is written to the whole church, he's saying, help them, you guys. Help them work this thing out. They got this issue. You know about it. It's been made public. You wrote me about it. Don't just stand there. You need to help them. Uh, in other words, what Paul would say to us as Americans, because this really grates against our Americanism, right? It's none of your business. Stay out of it. He would say, it is your business. It is your business when a brother or sister, when they're sitting on separate sides of the church and you can feel the heat. That's your business, right? As Christians, in fact, we're never allowed to say, my sin is my business. I may never say that as a Christian. As a non-believer, you bet. Your, your life is kind of, it's on you. But as a Christian, belonging to the body of Christ means we may never say, my sin doesn't affect any of you, because it most definitely does. We are united as the body of Christ. We are together, and our stuff affects one another. Um, throughout Paul's letters, he uses the illustration, the, the metaphor of the body to describe the church. Right? So let's think about this. Um, some of you have been over to the, the new church location. We're, we got to smash down some sheetrock this past week. Elder Wade and I were doing that, and that's just fun. I mean, it's, it looks like work, but it's just absolute fun, destroying stuff. And uh, we, you know, we were just hammering away with these, these hammers and axes, and you know, we, just looked, we just looked bad you know, up there. And one of the problems, though, is that sometimes sheetrock falls in your eyes, right? And then your productivity goes way down. 
but it's just your eye. You know, like, I got to thinking about it, like, how it's so amazing how one little speck of sheetrock in your eye, such a small geographically percentage of your body, can just totally shut you down, right? It's not like you can tell your eye, I'll deal with you later. We got to work now, right? It's in there, and it's your whole body's saying, get it out. We're miserable. And your productivity goes way down. You got to go to the bathroom, rinse it out. You know, you got you to work at it for a little bit. That's the same way it is when we allow sin and conflict to go unresolved in the body, in the church. You get some irritation in there. And you've heard about it. You've, you've seen churches where whole families just hate each other. But nobody will leave, and nobody will work it out. And nobody helps them to work it out. They just irritate everybody, and they cause the church to not be on its mission that it's supposed to be. It lowers the productivity because you just got to dance around it. People refuse to handle it in the way that Paul and Jesus calls us to. So when there's a disagreement in the church and it's longstanding, I'm not talking about being the holiness police here. You know, nobody gets to be the self-appointed holiness police going around making sure everybody's, you know, minding their P's and Q's. My kids do that, by the way. They love to do that. I'm like, listen, if you spent half as much time worrying about your sisters as you do worrying about yourself, you'd be golden, right? You don't need to worry quite so much about them. We're told we need to, we need to take the speck out of our own eye before removing the, or take the plank out of our own eye before removing the speck from our brother's eye. So, so it, this is, if there's a long-standing disagreement and everybody knows about it, then the church needs to come alongside these two and say, hey, you guys talked about this? You guys really need to work this out, right? As we do with other sin issues in the church. Um, that's my favorite phrase, by the way, when someone comes to you and says they want to talk about someone. You just say, have you talked to them? I love that. I love when you all say, that's what I told this person. They came to me and they wanted to talk about something, but I just said, have you talked to them? It's a great plan. It just destroys gossip, right? Have you talked to them about it? Oh, no, I haven't, but I just kind of wanted to talk to you. No, have you, you should talk to them about it. We talk to people, not about them, right? That's what keeps things clean in our hearts. That's the church's responsibility in it. Finally, fourthly, the responsibility, or the, the, uh, the power to do this reconciliation that we have the responsibility to do. And we might ask ourselves at this point, you know, where do we get this power to live this way? Because this is countercultural, right? Um, this is not normal. Where do we get the power to be good reconcilers, to be people that um, keep our relationships clean and free, uh, people that forgive easily? Where, do, where does that come from? Because like we saw this last week, this last week was just heartbreaking for so many reasons. But, but the big overarching feel of it is that we're just, our relationships are just shredding. They're just tearing apart, just in every kind of way in the culture. And I would posit that that is the norm. That is the norm since the fall for relationships to be tearing apart. That since sin entered the world, Cain killed Abel right away. Relationships began to deteriorate. There was tension. There was misunderstanding. There was friction. And, and that brought about all kinds, all kinds of evil from there. So if that's the normal force, in order to be good reconcilers, good forgivers, we're going to need an outside force that supersedes that, that transcends that and overcomes that. And thankfully, Paul says there is a power available for Christians. There's something available for you and I as Christians that 
overcomes that normal force that would shred us, that would tear us apart, that would seek to destroy our relationships and move us out into isolation. Because isn't that what the enemy wants for you? To remove you from every relationship, God and others, and move you out to you're totally isolated. That's his goal for you, all alone. Maybe just with him. And so, so we need this force to help bring us back together, to help us to reconcile. And Paul says it in these three small words here. In the Lord. In the Lord. That is where we get the power. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The power is in the Lord. Paul does not, um, Paul does not uh, uh, go after human power here. He doesn't say, okay, um, th- you just need to be nice women and get along. You're not, you're not being ladylike. You know, he doesn't go after that. He, he says, listen, you're going to need the power, and it is in the Lord. In the Lord is where you find the, the ability to reconcile on a consistent and steady basis. The force for reconciling is the lordship of Jesus Christ, who turns all of our relationships on, on their heads, right? I mean, Jesus comes and he says, listen, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's different. Who, who's my neighbor? Anybody. Anybody. You need to love them as yourself. Meet their needs with the same urgency you meet your needs. He says, oh yeah, and you need to love even your enemies. That's different, isn't it? Um, he says, you need to reconcile with your brothers and sisters quickly. Don't let anything come. You need to forgive every time. Every time you're wrong, you need to forgive because I'm forgiving you. That's what Jesus came to do. And, and he inaugurated this new system, this new way of thinking, this new way of operating. How did he do that? It was his death and resurrection. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he broke the power of sin that was always on us from the fall. He broke that power that sin has to shred relationships, and he started inaugurating this new kingdom that starts us coming back together. Gave us the power to forgive because God in Christ forgave us. This is what Jesus did. So here's the deal. In Jesus' kingdom, people don't hold grudges. It's totally different. The rules are different. Whereas you might, outside of Jesus' kingdom, it's normal to hold a grudge. Somebody wrongs you, and you, I'm going to hold something against you until I pay you back, and worse. But in Jesus' kingdom, we forgive like children. Clear-eyed, innocent. You ever seen children forgive each other? They're pretty good at it. They fight like cats and dogs, and then, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too. They're playing again. It's like, ah, oh, where do we lose that? You know, where do we forget that? that that's a great ability. In Jesus' kingdom, in the Lord, everything changes. And Paul has been telling us that all throughout this letter in Philippians. Paul's been saying, hey, look, I'm in prison. That really sucks. But because I'm in the Lord, it's not so sucky. I can rejoice. It changes. Everything changes. Paul's saying, look, in the Lord, everything changes. You, you might not possess anything. You might have lost everything. But in the Lord, you have everything because you have Jesus. You have everything that matters. And he's saying the same thing here. He's saying, listen, when it comes to this deal of reconciliation, it's hard. It's never easy. I don't want to paint that picture. But in the Lord, it changes. It's different because of how God treated you. Because of how God reconciled you to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection. Now you can be reconciled also to one another. This is where we get the power to reconcile and live in harmony. This is what Paul is urging 
Yodi and Syntyche too, in these two verses, saying, ladies, come together in the Lord, please. Please, remember the work that Jesus did to reconcile you to God and to each other. Don't let this divide you and the church any longer. You have the power. He's saying tap into the power that Jesus Christ gave you in his death and resurrection and by giving you the Holy Spirit to allow you to forgive well. Now, you might say, Pastor Dave, everything's going to get good after Jesus comes back. Aren't we jumping ahead a little bit? Aren't you requiring us to live at a level that just, it's not, it's not realistic uh, to, to think that we can live this way now. Uh, I see your point. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit of this is idealism. And I don't want you to get the, the idea here that this is going to be easy. Um, this is going to be hard all the time. It's going to be gut-wrenching. You're going to get knots in your stomach. It, it, sometimes the words aren't going to come out right. Sometimes the disagreement's going to last longer. And sometimes the relationship just doesn't come back together the way you'd hoped. Um, that's true. We're still living in this broken world waiting for Jesus to mend it. But that doesn't prevent us from starting to try to live the way that it's going to be now. And the way that we're headed for, the way that it's going to be, is perfect harmony. Perfect harmony, like Pastor Bill was saying this morning. Perfect harmony with one another. Can you imagine living in God's kingdom with one another and being in perfect harmony? And listen, this, this, Paul reminds them of this because this is a helpful mindset to get you to reconcile now with the people in your life that you need to reconcile with. Right? Paul says this to, he gives a, a subtle reminder. He says, listen, these ladies, these wonderful ladies who are leaders in the church, work side by side with me, and Clement, the rest of my fellow workers, he says their names are written in the book of life. Now this is a Jewish term um, that, that's kind of like a, a, an honor. Paul's kind of buttering them up in some ways here. It's an honor. He's saying, like, you've endured a lot, you've made it through, and you've come out on the other side. But it's also an eschatological term. And eschatological is just a big word for saying about the end of all things, when Jesus comes back. And in the book of Revelation, we find this term, the book of life, six times. Six times. So what Paul is saying here is, hey, ladies, do you ever think about the fact that you're going to be neighbors for trillions of years? And you can't even sit by each other in church? Like, does that reframe your argument at all? That you are going to love each other for the rest of all eternity? And maybe could you start getting along now because of that? And how does that change how, what, what you're thinking about right now? Maybe that person that you just, you just can't stand or, or what they said to you and how you can't get over that. But they're a fellow believer. Now, some of you are saying, they're not a believer. They're not going to be in the new kingdom, Pastor Dave. And I'm saying, don't judge them, all right? You don't know them, right? That's for God to judge. You, you, if they're a Christian, then you just say, all right, they're, they're a believer and listen. I'm going to be neighbors. We're going to, we're going to be in harmony for the, for the rest of all eternity. So maybe we should start trying to get along now. And it's really helpful to live now with the end in sight and to work back from there. Say, okay, this is how it's going to be in the end. How do we start living that way now? Right? I don't know where this sermon finds you today. Uh, like Pastor Bill said, it's been a terrible week, a tough week to talk about reconciliation as we have so much work to do in so many ways. Uh, but, but we're talking a lot personal reconciliation here today because that's what Paul's dealing with. And so maybe for you here today, you've got nobody in your mind and you're kind of like, I'm just going to file this one for future reference. Fine, that's great. Um, that's totally fine. 
but maybe for some of you here today, you've been totally miserable since I announced the topic uh, because you can see that person's face and you can remember their words and their words just play like a tape in your mind on repeat over and over again what they did to you and you know that something's got to happen here. Something's got to happen. I'm going to tell you, listen, you're going to get a chance to respond, okay? Uh, Pastor Bill's going to come in a minute. And, and give you an opportunity to respond. Um, for others of you, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're just curious about what this thing means to um, live in the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing about and to, to start that now. What that's like to, to be able to forgive easily. You've never experienced that. You've, you've been taught to hold grudges because the world teaches us that, right? The world teaches us hate and hold grudges and get, get back at someone. Take it out on them. Uh, make them pay. That's normal. You're saying, what is it like to live in this new kind of community, this new kind of kingdom? You're going to get a chance to respond to that as well as Pastor Bill comes and and leads you. And you'll get a chance to be ministered to as well, wherever you're at today. No matter who you are, no matter what you're dealing with, uh, you get a chance to come and and be ministered to and be prayed over today to help you to deal with whatever circumstance you're in, whether it's coming to Jesus for the first time or just needing prayer to help you deal with a difficult reconciliation matter. But let me, let me just close by saying this. Friends, Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we could be reconciled with God and each other. I'm not, I'm not scolding you, but I'm just saying, please, let's not wait another day. Let's make his heart glad. Let's be reconciled in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. More than anything, Lord, today we're thankful that you did this incredible work so that we could be reconciled to you. There's nothing we could have done to make that happen, and you did it. And I pray that out of what you did for us, Lord Jesus, we would work now to do the, the difficult stuff of being reconciled with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.